Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another guest expert conversation. Today, we're joined by my former student turned colleague and friend, Vienna Farron. I first met Vienna way back in 2007 when she was a graduate student at Northwestern University studying in the Masters of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy program. She was a superstar in the program, so it is a surprise to absolutely nobody that she's gone on to create quite a name for herself. I love collaborating with Vienna, and I appreciate the depth and clarity she brings to conversations like this one. Vienna is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in New York City and is the founder of Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. She leads retreats around the world and is an international presenter. She's a founding expert on mind and has been featured in The Economist, Fatherly, Netflix, and Vogue, to name a few. With over 600,000 followers on her Instagram account, at MindfulMFT, Vienna is recognized as one of the great relationship influencers of our time. And today, we're digging into such a common relationship challenge, compromise, figuring out whether, when, and how partners make accommodations for each other can play out in small ways, like adjusting to a partner's sleep schedule or letting them pick the next TV show you're going to watch together. And they also can be large scale when decisions around careers, moving, and family are involved. In the case of our listener question, we are digging into one of these larger examples. Our listener has moved to a new city with her partner as he pursues his medical degree. She's feeling disconnected, uprooted, and a bit resentful. And she's wondering whether this relationship is even worth it. How can she manage these feelings during this huge transition? Well, Vienna and I are here to chat it out. Hi, Vienna. Hi, Allie. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. I know there are so many demands on your time and on your energy. And so I just appreciate, I appreciate you being here. You know, you and I go way back. <laughs> we had, I feel like our, our story, like any good story, has lots of chapters. We started off as a professor and a student, and then we became colleagues. And you are the person who you're like, okay, so open up Instagram. And here's how you make a post. <laughs> like you literally sat with me and taught me how to do the Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now we have a friendship. Like I just so cherish the evolution of our journey. Same. Any opportunity to be in conversation with you is always a good one. So I'm so happy to be here. And yes, to the evolution of the relationship. It's wild. It's been like, goodness, 14 years. 
14, <laughs> 15 years. Isn't that wild? Oh, that just goes right into my heart. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Good. And here's to the next 14, 15. Yes. From here. So on the Reimagining Love show, we start off with a relational self-awareness question that I'm sure surprises you not even a little. So are you ready for the question? Lay it on me. <laughs> I would love for you to talk to us about a growing edge that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships and what it has been teaching. So a new important relationship for me is the one with my son, who is just a little over seven months old. I've been reflecting on this a lot in the last few weeks, especially, um, and the last couple of months, it's sort of come to a head. He's had some trouble sleeping, and I got to a place where I felt pretty frustrated by it and tired, exhausted, drained, etc. And I got caught in that space of asking, you know, why aren't you sleeping? Right? Like, what's up? Why is this not happening? I spent a little bit of time in that space of just like, okay, what's the fix? And what are the mm -hmm. solutions? And what do I need to do XYZ style? And not too long thereafter, I started to be able to connect a little bit more to just a different perspective and reframe of what was happening there. And so I stopped asking, why aren't you sleeping? And I started asking, what's keeping you from resting well? And then I was able to hold up the mirror that he was so beautifully offering to me. And so I started asking myself the question, am I resting well? And the answer was no. And not no because he wasn't sleeping well and so I wasn't sleeping well, but no because I was not being intentional and deliberate with my relationship with self-care and rest. I have historically been a pusher and doer and like, you know, whenever there's an extra moment, there's more to get done. And so when I got pretty honest with myself, I was like, okay, I'm not resting well. In fact, every moment that I have, like to take a bath, I'm taking my phone in there and getting mm -hmm. tasks done or mm -hmm. writing a post or, you know, finishing emails or every time that I'm about to go take a nap, I'm getting caught scrolling or emailing back or, you know, and it was like, oh, interesting. What a beautiful gift that's here. And so <laughs> at first I tried to bargain with him. I was like, uh -huh. okay, uh -huh. I got it. Got it. I know that I need to rest better. Totally understood. Uh -huh. Now uh -huh. that I've understood it, now can you rest better? I He's like, no, bargained. I bargained. bargained. I bargained. And Code bargained. was like, no, mom, mm -hmm. that's not how this works. And so <laughs> my reframe continued into like, wow, how um, lovingly persistent my son <laughs> to be like, I love you so much, yeah. right? That like, if this is the only way that I or anyone can get you to actually rest better, right? Then like, <laughs> I need to do this. And that's the way that I took it. My husband and you know, uh, he's like, I've literally been saying this for years, you know, <gasps> right. and I'm like, I know, but I, I had to come to it right on my own with a little bit of help from my little guy. And I've intentionally started resting much better. And so has he. And that's been a really beautiful lesson for me, both just in terms of rest in and of itself, yeah. but also just the remembering of how powerful and important these little humans are as our teachers. Oh my God. I love that answer so much because first of all, the first thing you did because you are an excellent family therapist is you modeled what we like to call the constraint question, right? The knee-jerk reactive question you wanted to ask your baby is, why aren't you sleeping? And it's a question that's rooted in control and it's rooted in like a kind of linearity, right? Like, how do I need to change you, fix you, alter you? And because you've been trained well and you practice well, you shifted then, you caught yourself and you were like, nope, I'm going to ask a constraint question. Like, what's keeping you from resting well? And then you did the next thing, which is the deeply self-aware question of like, okay, if I'm so concerned with what's keeping him from resting well, who else might benefit from being asked that question? 
hesitant or resistant because they want to protect these people. Sometimes people are resistant or hesitant because they're afraid of what's going to show up, right? What will be revealed in this work. A lot of times people are like, I don't want to go to couples therapy because I know things are just going to get worse. (laughs) You know, you're like, oh, I so, right. It's like, you're coming in with one thing and they're like, but Lord, I know that there's going to be like 15 other things that somehow get revealed in this process. Right. And so sometimes it's so tender around that to say like, oh, like, am I really ready to look at it? What was, what is, am I really ready to look at and feel that? Can I trust in my capacity to move through that? You know, like, is it going to be too much? Is it going to be overwhelming? Is it going to be emotionally flooding? Am I going to get lost in this? Will I be able to move on from it? I don't want to think about the hard things that have happened. I don't want to think about my wounding, my pain, my trauma, right? And so, you know, it's our systems are designed to protect Right. And so when there's an alert, when there's a data point that suggests that we're going to do something that might be hard, right, that might be deeply confronting, the system is going to find, you know, whatever excuse or protective method and measure that it can to avoid maybe going there. And so, yeah, finding someone you trust, finding someone with with whom you have a good connection is so powerful to be walking hand in hand on this co-exploration of, yeah, of your family system and your origin stories and, you know, what is there that needs your attention. You know, as you talk about couples therapy, I think that can be challenging. It's so beautiful to get to do that family of origin exploration work in the context of couples therapy. But I know one of the common points of resistance is a fear that is going to be like comparing my family to your family and trying to diagnose whose family was quote unquote crazier or which of us is the cause of this problem based on the family of origin dynamics. And so again, I love that you're reminding us that it's not ever about throwing anybody under the bus. And I love, you know, as Mona Fishbane says, right, like really imagining our parents as our grandparents' children. And that this is not about putting the blame somewhere else. It's about looking at patterns so that, right, from that place of looking at the patterns. Okay, so that's the pattern. And now what do I want? And it's a reminder, you know, as you were saying that it was a reminder to me for people who are in couples therapy, just that whatever insights get made about your partner, connections to your partner's past, like those little gems have to be held with the utmost of care, you know, and not ever used against our partners then in the next moment of frustration, because there will be a next moment of frustration. But as you go more deeply into this work and understand each of your stories, you have more treasures, but you have to commit to not using those treasures as weapons ever, 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 ever. Yeah. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they are not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. I always remind people because when it comes up like, oh, am I the one that's just so much more wounded than my partner? Or yeah, do I, am I the one who brings all the issues forward? And I always say like, we don't partner match with people who have severe different levels of wounding our puzzle pieces. They, they work together, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so important because even though someone outside looking in might be like, oh my gosh, and here's the pain and here's the trauma and here's the wounding and here are all the things. And you have kind of a nice life, you know, Mm -hmm. from the outside looking in, like, do not be fooled. 
Do not be fooled because if you are in an intimate relationship with someone, right? If you are in something long lasting with someone else, it means that there are hooks, that there are things <laughs> that really equalize you, right? You are on a similar playing field with this other person. And I, that's so important to say, because I think a lot of times people feel sort of mismatched in their wounding or, mm -hmm. you know, in the content of their storyline. And I find that reminder so helpful, that perspective so helpful to be like, right, like, no, we're actually, we're here doing this dance together because we are serving something with each other. Right? That's right. That has always been, I think, a helpful thing, especially for the partner who maybe feels like, oh, here I am coming with all my stuff. And I'm just such a heavy weight in this relationship. And you've got you're the one who's just having to deal with me. Right. And then as the work deepens, the one who is the less heavily loaded up one may start to come into some awareness about their investment of getting to be the one that looks like the less heavily loaded one, right? And then what does that person get to quote unquote hide from or who do they get to be then to the quote unquote, more broken one, right? So there's some complexity there that is worth Oof. looking at. Again, not blaming, just deeply curious. Okay, so then what? You have been the one who's been the caretaker, the affirmer, the, you know, more robust one. Okay, who do you not have to be then? Or what does that remind you of? What are you trying to fix? Yeah, there's so much richness there. And I think we're at risk of trying to make hierarchies around just about everything. So of course, we're at risk of making hierarchies around wounding. But what you're reminding us of so very well is when we start to slip into those hierarchies of wounding, we're just missing all of the really cool, rich, nuanced stuff around what drew me to you in both the most aligned ways and then in some of the, maybe some of the shadowy ways. And it's always that. There's always a blend of the attraction is both really beautiful and the attraction is like, okay, I think with you, I'm going to have a chance to work on this a little bit. Okay, so let's work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's work on it. <laughs> <laughs> let's work on this listener question. We have a okay, really- Okay, let's do it. Yeah. The question that I chose to work on with you, my dear, comes from Allison, who writes in from Spain. And here's what Allison would like you and I to address. And she uses she pronouns. So she says, my partner is a first year resident doctor. We've been together for over two and a half years, two years living together. Recently, we moved to a new city so he can do his residency. We've been here for five weeks and it has been really difficult for me because I left my job. I wasn't very happy with it. And my friends in my old city and my family lives across the ocean. So I'm feeling lonely, jealous, and kind of resentful because of his job. I feel like I sit around waiting for him to come home, even when I know I'm an independent person and I enjoy solo time. But this is making me think if this relationship is worth all this effort, or is this just a rough time for us? How can I know the difference? I feel like you and I are going to need to do some like kind of 10,000 foot talking about the nature of modern love and geographic constraints and gender role stuff. And then also like play with some of the deeper stuff that may be going on inside each of each of them. So I want to give you the floor first. Where do you want to start with Allison's concern? Yeah, there's so many layers to it. There's so many places to start. Such a big transition for both of them, right? Massive transition that included relocation, that includes new identities for both of them. When I think about transition, I always say, oh, there's so much expansion and grief that happens simultaneously in that shift. And I think sometimes we get, we forget about the grief and it sounds like that's maybe some of what she's experiencing right now, where it's like, okay, maybe, you know, as they were headed out for this, did this feel exciting? Was this something that they were looking forward to? I imagine maybe for him, 
Although there can be a lot of both ands in the experience of stepping into, you know, this new identity, this new role for school, but he's going off and doing something new. And she is experiencing being the partner who is sort of by his side, but doesn't have community, doesn't have connection, doesn't have you know, maybe a purpose or, um, you know, a, a vision for her life right now. And so it sounds like it's falling really flat for her. I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me would be going into what is common about this role for her? You know, are there times historically, and, and you and I would probably look at family system work. Um, this is where I would say like, okay, what's the origin story around stepping into a role like this? Right? When have you before, or when was the first time you went along with what somebody else wanted? Listen, you and I are going to make some assumptions, I think, on yes. this um, recording here. And so we might hit some and we might miss others, but mm-hmm. right, like, yeah, I imagine that there was a conversation about this move and this transition and that they both agreed to it. But did we agree to it from an empowered place, right? Both of us, right? Was she saying yes to this because she thought it would be okay or she didn't want to risk losing the relationship if she didn't move, right? Like we don't know what the risk or the quote unquote threat would have been had she not, would the relationship have ended if I didn't make this move? And so, yeah, like what is the story? Has she been in this role in any other relationship before? And so, yeah, like I said, I'd want to know what that looked like in her family system, both experientially for her and also as the observer, as the witnesser. You know, did she watch in her family system a parent go along with what another parent wanted to do, right? Was that something that was modeled for her? Has she just absorbed that? Did she have a family system in which people were super rigid? And so she swung the pendulum in opposition to be like, gosh, you never did what so-and-so wanted. And that was the the reason that there was divorce or there was a, that was the reason that this relationship didn't work, right? And so is she operating either from a place of repetition or opposition in the position of witnesser and observer? Or, you know, is this something that she has experienced where she has been expected to go along with what the family does, do as we say, and, you know, hierarchically speaking, we are the adults and we are the authority, a little bit of what we were saying before. And so you're going to fit into my life and you're going to do it on my terms, right? So let me pause there though, because I feel like I'm saying a lot. <laughs> it's, give you a it's, chance such, to... it's a beautiful framing. It's a beautiful framing because you're taking your lens and you're pointing it in a few different directions. And one is the lens when, when whenever we're doing this family of origin work, we're looking at what the little person observed the grown up people do, which is what you're saying around, did you watch patterns of massive accommodation or did you watch patterns of rigidity that then the relationship couldn't withstand. And you also are saying the other place we want to point the lens is in terms of like relationality, like how she was related to and was she expected, okay, come on, Allison, like we're all going to do this. You got to do this. And so it was just like when he says, come on, Allison, we're going to Spain. She's like, okay, we're going to. And if any of that lands, it does not mean we have to blow this situation up right? It just means then that it's all that much more important for Allison and her boyfriend to figure out how they're going to adapt. There's a way in which I think sometimes very unconsciously, we will recreate something that has kind of the same framing, the same kind of characters, the same kind of a feel, and we'll put ourselves right back in there. But with some relational self-awareness, we get to find some new moves, Right. So she doesn't, I mean, the words she's using, which you picked up on the kind of flatness, like it's this, I'm lonely, I'm jealous, and I'm resentful. Okay. So is that because you have taken this accommodating role to the extreme and really you're not in your apartment because you want to be, but because you feel like you have to be? Like, if you can recognize that, then do there become some new possibilities for how you get to? Build a life for yourself in Spain while you're here, while you're in this chapter, because like we were saying before, yours and my friendship has a number of chapters. This love story will have a number of chapters. So this is but a chapter of a bigger story. And 
I would do a little side note around there can be something very beautiful of holding down the fort, right? So perhaps she's in the apartment and could it be she's in the apartment because she just kind of holds steady and he comes home and he gets to take off the doctor role and put on the partner role. And it's be only because she's holding center that he gets to kind of come home, integrate the experience, the challenges of the day, and she's witnessing. That could be really cool for her if she can remember there's tremendous pride in being the one who holds center And if she can remember that it's only a chapter, right? Then maybe the next chapter is he kind of pivots and he says, okay, where are we going now for you? What do we need for you? How do I kind of tuck in to support some of your, maybe not even dreams and ambitions, not like you have to be ambitious, but to support your vision of what you want next, Allison. Like what is next for us that really serves you perhaps a bit better than this chapter did? Mm Mm-hmm. My my husband and I were long distance for a chunk of our relationship. And I bring that up because I think one of the things I realized in that experience and then also professionally working with people was what we call covert expectations. And I think about what expectations she might have had of how this was going to look and whether or not what it's in actuality, is that falling short? Is that very different than what she envisioned this time in Spain would be? Is part of that resentment or disappointment that she's feeling because she's created this vision of like, oh my goodness, we're going to make this move and here's what it's going to look like and here's what it's going to feel like and you're going to come home and how I'm Mm going to do this and Mm -hmm. you're going to do that. And now none of that or some of that is not actually showing up in that way. And so, you know, We don't know whether or not Allison has had conversations with her partner about this yet, but that's an invitation that I would bring forward is to really look at like these unspoken expectations and ideas about what this chapter was supposed to look like in your mind. Maybe you guys talked about it, maybe you didn't. But to really tune into, you know, was there a vision, right? Was there this fantasy of what this was going to be that is not, it's not actualized, right? And how much of that have we talked about, right? Does your partner know how resentful you are feeling? Does your partner know how disconnected you're feeling? Does your partner know how much you're wondering and questioning whether or not this was a mistake to make this move and how maybe disconnected from him as well as disconnected from yourself, you're feeling. So as he's stepping into this, right, she stepped away from. Now, Mm -hmm. albeit she didn't like her job, right? Right. She said, yeah, it wasn't good for me. And and maybe there was some toxicity there. So, okay, objectively, maybe that was a great decision for her, but she's stepping away from something, right? There's something that got taken away, right? There was a I don't know, like a, a loss on right, the sure. on the on the spreadsheet. Sure. Even though, again, we might be able to reframe that and say, like, you know, leaving something that's not good for you is a win. But for her, right, like something was taken out while something was plugged into his life. Right. And you know, there's a lot. There can be a lot of feelings around that, and it sounds like yeah, there's a surging of that that's happening. One of the questions that I think you and I both would want to understand a bit better is how much of this is going on inside of her head in terms of the processing, the meaning making, the analysis, and how much of it is going on in the space between the two of them. And I know for many, many of us, depending on our family dynamics, if Allison grew up in a home where she couldn't turn towards trusted others with her concerns and just say, hey, I have a concern, can you sit with me in it and can we sort it through together, then she very likely is making a one-person project out of something that really is a two-person project. And could she bring him feedback and say to him, not as an attack, not as a criticism, and not as a you did this to me, but as a, hey, let's kind of circle up here. We're at the five-week mark. I want to know how you're doing, and I want you to know how I'm doing. And then from that place of checking in without judgment, without finger pointing, without shame, what have I done, blame, what have you done, but just out of like intimacy, like just I want to understand how this is for you. 
from that place of kind of just putting some observations out there, I would feel a measure of hope that there are some possibilities they haven't come up with yet that she can't come up with on her own because she is only one half of this couple. But perhaps if she opened up to him about the loneliness, about the resentment, resentment is one of those emotions. The resentment lives inside of her, but it is a relational data point and it has to be understood relationally. And if she were to take the risk of letting him in on some of those feelings, and if he were able to like breathe into it, resist the urge to explain, defend, rationalize, then I would suspect that the two of them might be able to make some tweaks to how they do a day, how they do a week that kind of can bring some more life and connection and purpose to this time. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, we. I know it was her question, but part of this work too right, is to also consider his experience, his history, his family of origin, his, right, his origin stories too. And I think sometimes we can get really focused on, okay, like what's coming up for me? What do I need to get out here, right? And so it's important, I think, when we're doing this type of relational work, even if it's one person on their own first, right, before we invite the other person into that space, I always want to be asking questions like, well, what do we know about him? What do we know about his life? What is this moment in time for him? Of course, the most direct, easiest line is to ask them. But even if we're not there just yet, right, to start to open up, right, to start to see them through that lens is so powerful, is so helpful, right, to remember like, right, this person is not just like, I'm doing my thing and I don't care how you feel. Like, they come with their own history, their complexity, this beautiful package of all the things, right? And sometimes we forget to see them that way. Right? to be reminded of them in these moments when we are frustrated and hurt and we're focused on us and what's happening to us and our inner children and what needs to happen here. Right? It's like, no, let's pull up a chair for them as well. <laughs> I love that. Beautiful. Right. And if, if that set of questions could open up for Allison, perhaps, I mean, who knows? It's a million different stories. But if his story was something like he was always like the good boy who just did it, what everyone wanted him to do and never asked anything and just put a smile on his face and nope, we'll do it your way. Nope, I, I don't have any needs. Nope. And if this is perhaps the biggest, boldest declaration ever that he only did because this relationship with Allison felt safe enough for him to be like, okay, here it is. I want to go to my residency in Spain and I want you with me. If she could remember that this was actually like a revolution for him then she could maybe swell with pride, like, holy cow, we've created something that is safe enough that we get to heal the little boy that you used to be who couldn't ask for and now gets to ask for. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Right? So that there would be potentially an entire world that opens up that's deeply relational in which, and that's the, that's what the best of relationships do, right? In the best of relationships, we get to have a chance to care for our own inner children and to offer some healing and comfort and different, what we therapists call corrective emotional experiences for our partners, inner children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, there's an endless you know, list of what it could be for him. But regardless of what the story is, there is possibility for something so special and healing to happen, right? Even if it's nothing like you just said. Even if it's he's so used to doing whatever the heck he wants to do and was taught that and that's, you know, that's the system he grew up in and these were the messages that he received, right? To have someone he loves and hopefully cares for to be able to hear like someone say like, this is something that's affecting me, right? This is something that's impacting me. And yes, I want to support this beautiful thing, important thing that you're doing. And there also needs to be room for my experience, my needs, my wants, my desires, right? Like, you know, so again, there's an endless, you and I can come up with so many different scenarios here, but regardless of the scenario and where it lies, there is a possibility for something to shift, for something to change, for something to heal, for something to be seen or witnessed or experienced differently than it has before. That's the beauty of partnership, loving partnership, right? Partnership that has the space to dance this dance with each other 
as messy as it might be. Like you said, maybe she brings this forward and hopefully he's able to hear, but right, like maybe he's defensive. Maybe mm-hmm, he's like, mm-hmm, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Right, like right. we just got here. It's been five weeks. You know, what, you know, whatever the story, I can't believe this is coming up now. Why does everybody have to like shit on my experiences and da-da, you know, like we don't know, but sometimes even if that's the response at first, right, is there space to come back to it over and over again safely, right? Is there space for us to reignite this and see, okay, what is something new that we can experience, reveal, acknowledge in this conversation? There's two things I want to pick up on because that was so important. The first one is if it is, you know, you kind of spun to like the other, another kind of narrative that's entirely possible, which is that he just... Yeah, he was like, we're going to Spain because we're going to Spain and you're coming with me because of course you are, because the world has kind of lined up behind him. And if she points that out to him, what you and I would want to be doing is making sure he doesn't disappear in shame, right? That it doesn't smack him so hard that it's like, I'm a bad person for doing this to her because the moment he starts to dissolve into shame, we've now lost him, right? We've lost him in his shame, his perceived badness. Instead, it would, we would want him to really breathe with that and look at the contextual factors, especially, you know, he is male. If he is a white, you know, da, 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 privileged advantage, yes, then there are large systems, bigger and older than him, that have taught him that it's that's what's expected, is that people will accommodate him. That's not something he created out of nothing, right? That's what the world has sort of shown him. And now... In the context of this relationship he's built with Allison, he can start to look at that like, wow, yeah, no, there are actually times when I forget to go slowly enough to check in with you, to decenter my experience, to look at your experience. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, well, we're here now. Let's figure out how we start to pivot this and shift this. Because if that's the dynamic, you know, they think the genders of these two kind of fit perfectly lockstep. I mean, she, as a somebody who grew up female, has been told a million different ways to position herself vis-a-vis the wants, needs, and opinions of the men around her. And she's been doing that, you know, that predates her relationship with this particular man. And she's been doing it in lots of different relationships with men in every likelihood. And so that's not anybody's fault. And by looking at it, now we've got some choices about what do we want to do about it. Maybe there needs to be a macro shift here, but maybe there are enough micro shifts where he just continuously finds ways to affirm, I love that you're here with me. Thank you for being here with me, right? I appreciate this. And I told you I'd be home by eight. I am home by eight. I've saved some energy and I want to whatever, make a delicious meal with you or go for a walk with you or be with you. So there are adjustments that could be made if and when and as they start to have that conversation. And you highlighting the defensiveness was huge because you're right. The defensiveness, we all need to start to notice when that desire to explain and justify comes up in us and learn how to, aha, I'm being defensive. Let me pause. Yeah, I want to say something about like we're talking about, you know, sort of this bigger picture here. Yeah. And I want to talk about how when we start to have these conversations too, noticing the familiarity of the emotional experience that we have in them. So when you're talking about, mm. okay, Allison brings this up and then might he experience shame? Yep. Okay, maybe. And so if that were the case, right, I would want to understand, well, what is the origin of shame in your life, in your experience, right? If she is like fearful that she's just going to be shut down in this conversation, right? If she were to reveal that in therapy, for example, again, I'd want to know what are the origin stories around that message, Like, where did you learn that was going to happen, right? So in some ways, we're solving this bigger question that she's presented with. But simultaneously, right, we're looking at these micro moments in these conversations and what's being brought forward and how they have the conversation about the bigger thing. And what happens in how we have the conversation about the bigger thing also reveals so many of the Uh, more nuanced moments in these conversations that also need our attention and healing. Yes. And that when we get focused on, did we do it wrong? Should we not have moved? Should we break up? When those 
big things around the table, we miss the chance to go, yeah, no, I am feeling some shame here. What's that about? Or, yeah, I it took me a week and a half to bring this up to you because I'm so afraid of your response. I wonder why, right? Those little pieces that are so important. It is hard to do. It's hard to put the decision off to one side. We can just kind of put the decision, like kind of hold the decision. Then we get the gifts that come when we are paying close and subtle attention to the emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you're you're bringing that part forward. Mm-hmm. It's where the victory is in the process, as we'd say, as opposed to you know an outcome of we stay together and we make this relationship work, which I'm sure maybe for both of them would be ideal and and what they would like. And also, wow, even if the relationship doesn't wind up working out in the end, right? To be able to say, oh my goodness. But it was in this relationship where I finally voiced what I've needed to voice when I've been afraid to voice it, right? Or like, oh, here's this moment where I stood in my authenticity instead of just being a people pleaser. And so remembering that sometimes our victories are not just in, okay, and we made it work, or here's this outcome that we've designed for, but that the victories are sometimes in just doing one thing differently than we've ever done it before is what like, whoa, that's Mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Which is scary, right? Whenever there's you know, some uncertainty about whether, are we going to be able to make it? One of the modern love aspects of this is that she, I think that if this was her mom's generation, or if her mom was with somebody who was going on residency, it likely would have been her husband, not her boyfriend, right? The fact that the age of entry into marriage is so much older, the fact that the geography is so much more expansive, tends to be much more expansive in this generation, it means that there are some unique challenges that couples like Allison and her boyfriend face. It's different to move across the ocean for a husband than for a boyfriend. That bit more uncertainty. Not that, you know, there are certainly people who are married who question whether the marriage is viable, obviously, duh. But it just, it has a different feel to it. And she's not, I guess the thing that I hope also is I hope that she can let go. If there's a story that sneaks up on her that somehow I was foolish for doing this, I hope that she would let that go. Because you're never going to get me to say that it's foolish to make um, accommodations for love right? This is a hard thing. And I don't want her to make it harder by second guessing herself, calling herself foolish. I hope that there's nobody in her life that is sort of saying, well, Allison, we told you, you've only known him. No, this is, this is, she had enough of a sense that this relationship was worth investing in, that she made this next step. And it's difficult. Like it's just relationships tend to hang out in these like more liminal middle spaces of we're together, but what's our future and how aggressively are we moving towards our future and how in sync are we about that? So these kinds of situations are just so common and they really warrant a lot of compassion. So inside of her, I want her to have compassion. I want the people who surround her to have compassion because this is difficult. Is it worth us making mention about what would shift, if anything, if the roles were reversed? I would love to do that. Yeah. What are you what are you thinking? If it was he traveled for her residency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would we be saying exactly the same things? And I I think in many ways, yes. Might we say, oh come on, you know, like she's stepping into this incredible role, like get it together, mm-hmm. be the cheerleader for her. This isn't about you, right? So yeah, I just wanted to name that to just think about more for, I think the listener, honestly, to be mm-hmm. like, can you mm-hmm. think about the ways in which our beliefs or our judgments based on who these people are and how they've been described changes the way that you relate to them, changes the way that you might have expectations of what they decide or what they choose or how they behave in all of this. But I think for us, we would be having a lot of the same conversations. That's right. You know, when I teach my marriage 101 class with the undergraduate students, they're almost all graduating seniors, right? So my office hours are full of people who are like, I think I want to go with this person to New York City. I think I want to travel to Australia with this person. You know, when they're heterosexual folks who are sharing these stories, she very often will have a cloud of shame over her head. There's something foolish or silly to follow a man into the next chapter. 
I think male students will have other kinds of anxieties, like I hope this works, but it's not a cloud of shame or foolishness. In fact, if anything, it's a sense of pride. But you're right, in terms of the deeper work, the inner work, looking at the roles and the patterns, those aspects, those elements are certainly transcendent of gender. But in terms of the larger context in which this problem is navigated, the gender stuff for sure will, you know, creeps in and shapes it. Mm-hmm. Vanna, I could just sit here for the rest of the day, but I am going to wrap us up. I want to thank Allison. Like, thank you for sending us this question, for trusting us with your story. I have every confidence there are lots of nuggets here for the listeners. I hope there are things of value that really serve you, Allison, as you navigate this. So thank you to Allison. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to you, Vienna. I know, I mean, there may be like, you know, several people who are discovering you through this, although I doubt it. You have a grand and dedicated and devoted audience. And so I suspect it's going to be a lot of folks here who are deeply immersed in your work. But just in case there are some folks who are getting to know you for the first time, tell us how we can learn more about you and all the things that you're working on. Yeah. So quickest and easiest way is on Instagram at MindfulMFT as in Marriage Family Therapy. We are both on the Mind app, so you can catch both of us there. So if you haven't downloaded Mind, you can also follow them along at Do You Mind on IG. The website for the practice is NewYorkCouplesCounseling.com. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We have courses for women who are considering divorce and navigating that. My Origins of You course is also available. We will probably have it relaunched by the time that this comes out. And yeah, you can find all of the offerings from group offerings to individual therapy, et cetera. And I'm currently writing a book. Which won't be available for a while, but it's, it's in the works. It's in the works. Well, and it's good for the Reimagining Love audience to know that they're going to get a second dose of Vienna when that book comes out. (laughs) I told her, I'm going to be your hype woman. I'm going to go, I'm going on tour with you. I I am just going to be like shouting it from the rooftops because I'm just here for it. And so I look forward to a big, bold, you know, Vienna's first book conversation. Yes. Cannot wait. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Such an honor to get to explore relational dynamics with you. And yeah, just to reiterate what you said, so honored, grateful to receive this question from Allison and her trust in us to move through it. Thank you so much, Vienna. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vienna, for joining forces with me to answer this listener question. Compromise and accommodation are perennial issues within intimate partnerships, and I hope that our discussion can really normalize that transitions are tough. Relationship turning points activate a range of emotions and reactions that require us to get curious about ourselves and each other. And in searching for the source of our insecurities and our worries, we have a chance to grow relational self-awareness and connect more deeply with our partner. You can find links to Vienna's e-course and her other offerings in the show notes. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon. Or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.